Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Decoding the Unknown. Today, the Shroud of Turin, the most studied artifact in human history. Uh, written by Katie, read by me. I've never read this before. That's the format of the show. We're going to explore it together. But spoiler alert. I'm pretty sure. Wasn't this around like a long time ago? People were like, this is the thing that they put on Jesus' face after he was crucified. I think that's what the Shroud of Turin is. And it has like Jesus' face imprinted on it. And then science came along at some point and we're like, oh, well, let's just carbon date it. And then it turned out to be like way later. And it just turns out to be completely fake. Spoiler alerts! Uh, we got 22 pages. So let's, uh, let's get some more details, I suppose. Or if you're already done, thanks for watching! <laughs> The Turin Shroud, or the Shroud of Turin, is a large piece of linen that was apparently used to wrap the corpse of a dead man many hundreds of years ago, and his image has been somehow left imprinted on the material. So what's the big deal? Well, it's long been argued that the man wrapped in the shroud was none other than the Big J himself, Jesus Christ. Well, wasn't that thousands of years ago, rather than when I was born? Oh, this is so confusing, the Jesus timeline, I never really understand. I recently learned that after Jesus came back from the dead, from the dead apparently he didn't live for very long, and then he died later, which was news to me. I, don't, I, I, didn't, I never really considered what happened after Jesus is like risen from the dead, because <laughs> I don't care. Uh, added to that is that there's no way for the image to have appeared on the cloth other than through the energy expelled when he was resurrected. This has led to the shroud being so scrutinized over the centuries that it is, apparently, thanks to the age-old tradition of religious faith versus science, the most studied artifact in all of human history. And yet, we still don't have definitive answers. Oh, okay, maybe we don't. Maybe they're just like, maybe they can't date it. Like, no, it turns out that, yeah, it's Jesus' DNA. It's not, because if we had Jesus' DNA, we'd, like, there would be a whole thing about, like, finding out who's related to Jesus. It would be a lot of people. Did Jesus have kids? I don't even know. I don't, I don't even know that. I assume no. Right? I assume no, because otherwise there'd be, like, the whole Dan Brown thing of, like, working out who's related to Jesus. Fascinating, Simon. Carry on. It's now Simon's turn to peel back the shroud and see if we can answer the questions surrounding it, such as, Jesus, is that really you? What can we learn from recent discoveries about the shroud? Is the whole thing actually a hoax? Can we shoehorn the Knights Templar in here? Oh, I hope so. Hold your breath no longer, folks. It's time to unwrap the Turian shroud and wrap it around Jesus's dead face. I'll stop. Sorry. Sorry, people who love Jesus. Love you. Shroud Atlas. Details about the artifact itself. First things first. Let's get some info on what exactly we're talking about here. A shroud is a cloth that is wrapped around a body prior to burial. The shroud of... Wait, so then... Oh, okay, prior to burial. So they're not unwrapping somebody's... Do they wrap people in shrouds? I said... Oh, people are buried in clothes. Like, this I'm just thinking of the, uh, about the UK. So I've been to a few funerals, and there's always a bit of a discussion about what the person's going to be wearing in their coffin, which is going to be burned, and you can't see it. It's just like, so the Undertaker puts someone in these clothes that you choose for them. And then because we're not weird, we don't have like the open casket funerals in America. <laughs> Hello, Grandma, you're looking radiant because someone's like plastered your face with makeup because you're dead. Like, what's that about? Um, but they dress the person in these clothes and then put them in the box and then they burn the box. What are we talking about? 
Oh, okay. So, yeah, being wrapped in a shroud's a bit of a vibe, isn't it? A shroud is a cloth that is wrapped around the body prior to burial. The shroud of Turin is a single piece of linen measuring 4.4 meters long or just over a meter wide or 14 feet 5 inches long by 3 feet 7 inches wide. If we're using my favorite comparison site of themeasureofthings.com, <laughs> what are we going to get? It's about three quarters as long as a bowling lane by three quarters one Danny DeVito. So imagine most of Danny DeVito lying across a bowling lane and it's a bit smaller than that. <laughs> I know how big four meters is. Anyway, it seems as if this linen cloth was folded over a male human body as there are two faint imprints on it. The way imprints are arranged show that the body was placed at the lower end of the shroud with the top of the cloth then brought down over it as when it's opened, there is a na an image on the front of a man at one end and an image of the back of a man on the other end, but they're both the same side of the cloth. Wait, what? Oh, okay, because they're like wrapped up or whatever. This might have been a more confusing explanation than intended. A little bit. So maybe just go and look up the image of the whole shroud online and you'll see what I mean. Or if you're watching this on YouTube and we can find an image that is uh, available for use, boom! There you go. Enjoy, visual viewers. The image of a male human body is very faint but visible, and it isn't one of those suggestible see-what-you-want-to-see kind of things. It's definitely an image of a naked man who is presumably dead, though don't worry, his hands are crossed over his rude bits, which thankfully takes away the whole Jesus' penis aspect of the affair, which is a shame. I wanted to know about Jesus' cock. As well as the image on the front of the back and back of the body, there are also darker images on the cloth which look like bloodstains from wounds suffered by the man. These appear to be on his wrists and forearms, on his ankles, across his back and the backs of his legs and around his forehead. Which I mean, okay, so maybe that's got something to do with how he was killed, like on a crucifix. But Jesus wasn't the only one. The Romans were doing that shit all the time. They were down with crucifixion. They didn't just invent that shit for Jesus. They were, they were into it. Like, weren't the two other dudes getting crucified along with Jesus at the same time? It's like, Jesus Christ. Can you imagine, like, modern day? It's like, okay, you're coming for your lethal injection, and there's just two other dudes, like, lined up next to you. It's like, hey, boys, are we all going out at the same time? This is somewhat morbid and also comforting. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's an unpleasant thought, isn't it? If you look at the shroud these days, one of the most obvious things you'll see are a number of triangles, small holes and darker lines running along both sides. These lines and triangles look so symmetrical because of damage the shroud sustained when it was folded up. In 1532, a fire broke out in a French chapel and the shroud was that the shroud was housed in, causing scorch marks to the cloth and also holes and burns where molten silver dripped onto it. The triangular shapes now seen on the shroud are repair patches that were sewn on by nuns directly after this fire. Okay, we've mentioned a date now, 1532, so let's go back a bit through the history of this artifact. The first documented mentions of what is now called the Shroud of Turin or the Turin Shroud date back many hundreds of years to the mid-1300s. 1353 to be precise, although the earlier whereabouts of the possible actual burial cloth of Jesus can be tracked, if somewhat anecdotally, from Jesus' death in AD 33 to the Mesopotamian city of Edessa, then to Constantinople, where it was removed before or during the sack of Constantinople in 1204. You've got to imagine that over 2,000 years or whatever. It's like, obviously, the more time that goes past, the increased chances of something getting lost are. Like, stuff from the past, like the far back past, there's probably not like that order of provenance for like stuff that's that old. It's lost and then rediscovered, right? No one's like, oh yeah, that tablet, it's been in the family since Roman times. There's no, no one's gone and dug it up in some like Roman field somewhere. 
It later came into the possession of French knight Geoffrey de Charnay in the mid-1300s. About 100 years later, in 1453, his granddaughter gave it to the House of Savoy, where it was kept in the chapel in Chambéry, uh, where the aforementioned molten silver incident happened in 1532. In 1578, it was moved to Turin, which was the new capital of Savoy, and has been there ever since, hence the name Turin Shroud. Further repairs were carried out in 1694 and 1868 to try and improve on what the nuns had done. But these were only minor. The shroud is not on general public display, although it has been wheeled out a handful of times over the years for various occasions, and it wasn't until 1898 that more in-depth information was revealed about the image on the cloth. Italian Secondo Pia had permission to take some photographs of the shroud to promote it going on general display. The logistics for this didn't end up working out, but as Pia still had the opportunity to take some snaps, he jolly well took them. This involved using flash photography with a newfangled electric bulb, which was probably which probably wasn't the best thing to do in front of a fragile old piece of cloth, but it unlocked a major new part of the Shroud story. Okay, then. When developing his second set of plates, Pierre was astounded and shocked to see a detailed face on what was the reverse or negative of the photograph. The negative of the faint image on the Shroud depicts a man with long hair and a beard and shows much more depth and detail than can be seen with the naked eye looking at the actual image, which is faint and more yellowy or sepia in tone. So it's sort of like where you scan something into Photoshop and you up the contrast and it's like you can see more details right but like back in the day with like plates and photography and complicated stuff rather than just like creative cloud house of savoy maintained ownership of the shroud until 1983 when the last king of italy umberto ii bequeathed it to the government of the roman catholic church or the holy see in his will while it's possible to see replicas of the shroud the original is stored flat in a bulletproof airtight temperature and humidity controlled case in a shielded chapel in the cathedral of turin its last public display was in 2015 although i saw that it was also shown very briefly in 2018 for a group of young people thanks to the pandemic plans to show it again at the end of 2020 oh scarpered but a prayer pre service featuring the shroud was live streamed on holy saturday in april 2020 instead oh we live in the future it's like live streaming religious events there must be a thing on like um the super popular platform that's totally escaping my mind um but twitch twitch do you think there's like is religion a popular category is this where televangelists are now like because they they would do like memberships like they were back in the day like don't forget to tithe to your god heathens that's how you're gonna get into heaven doing that hurts my voice <coughs> um do you think they're on twitch doing the same thing like don't forget to sub join me as a member of the biblical church of fire maybe i should do that now be my twitch streaming channel televangelist i think i could do that i think i'd be good at that it'd be a laugh it's just like just pretend just pretending <laughs> come forth so i can do miracles upon you via the magic of telecommunication pathways that's a brief history of the shroud oh yeah we're totally sorry about that sorry about that super long and not essential in any way tangents just before we continue with the show let me thank today's sponsor factor look with a busy fall season already in swing you might be looking for wholesome convenient meals for those jam-packed days factor is america's number one ready-to-eat meal kit and it can help you fuel up fast with chef prepared dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door you're gonna save time you're gonna eat well you're gonna stay on track with that healthy lifestyle yes yes look you probably are too busy i'm t cooking is a hassle right but the other option is what ordering in that's something i do 
embarrassingly often. But it's not that healthy. It's not the way to go. With Factor, you can skip the extra trip to the grocery store. You can skip the unhealthy takeaway. You can skip the chopping, the prepping, the cleaning up. It's all just good to go. Fresh, never frozen meals. They're ready in just two minutes. All you have to do is heat them up and enjoy and then get back to your busy, busy life. You can also level up with Gourmet Plus options prepared to perfection by chefs and ready to eat in record time. Treat yourself to upscale meals with premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter. Oh my God, I love truffle butter. It's outrageously good. And asparagus. Plus, they've got calorie conscious options so you can try delicious dietitian approved calorie smart meals with around 550 calories or less per serving, which is really low. For a meal this september get factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh flavor-packed meals delivered to your door they get ready in two minutes no prep no mess go to factormeals.com decoding 50 and use the code decoding 50 to get 50 percent off that's code decoding 50 at factormeals.com decoding 50 to get 50 percent off and now back to today's episode but why has this piece of linen become so contentious why do people think it's actually the burial shroud of jesus why do people think it isn't Let's get into some details now, and we'll go through the pro-actual burial cloth arguments first. It's going to be pretty thin on the ground, isn't it? A face in the shrouds, the pro-Jesus arguments. The Bible states in various books in the New Testament that Jesus was indeed buried in linen cloth, as was the custom for Jewish burials. After Jesus' resurrection, two disciples went to his tomb and saw discarded linen cloth where his body should have been. Presumably they, or someone else, then took this cloth and, and it has been passed around as a holy relic ever since. So what proof is there that this was Jesus' actual burial cloth and is it actually his image imprinted on it? Well, let's talk about the cloth itself first. Because of the age, importance, and fragility of the shroud, only tiny parts have been made available for physical testing, but that's plenty for researchers to go all CSI on that shit. Although, as we'll see as we go through this episode, any answers found on this cloth can be viewed in more than one way. Oh no, so it's not like, I assumed it would just be like carbon data. Yeah, it's from this time. Boom, lockdown, it's not Jesus. That's what I thought happens. But I guess there's people like, no, 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 it still is because of this. And you're like, okay, chill out, brother. Even though the shroud has been housed in Europe since at least the 1350s, there were traces of many different types of pollen found on the cloth, some from plants that were native to the ancient region of Palestine, according to recent tests published in 2022 by Italian scientists Liberto De Caro, Giglio, Fanti, and others. This means that the shroud could have originated in, or at least spent time in the Middle East, where Jesus lived. It also has traces of many other types of plant pollen, more, more specifically found in Europe, showing it traveled over the course of its life. Takaro and Fanti also used a technique called wide-angle x-ray scattering on a sample of the shroud, which they believed is a more accurate research tool for pieces of fabric than carbon-14 or radiocarbon dating. When comparing the results of this x-ray technique from the shroud to other pieces of ancient textiles, Takaro and Fanti found that it is extremely close match with a piece of fabric known to have been from the Siege of Masada, which happened in the 1st century AD. Therefore, the Shroud of Turin may well be around the 2,000-year-old mark, meaning it's still in the mix to be the actual Shroud of Jesus. Lots of DNA was also found on the shrouds, and in a paper published in Nature in 2015 by Gianni Barachia and others, it summarizes in the introduction that the DNA found is compatible with the historic path followed by the Turin Shroud during its presumed journey from the Near East. Furthermore, the results raise the possibility of an Indian manufacturer of linen cloth. Well, what we should do is we should clone, get all that DNA, and then clone all of that DNA and see if anyone looks like Jesus. Boom! Problem solved. 
Moving on, the image of the man on the shroud bears all the distinctive features we know about Jesus at the time of his crucifixion. One, the image on the shroud has a long hair and beard, total JC trademark imagery, but it also bears many wounds and scars that are a match for the injuries Jesus suffered in the run-up to his death. I mean, yeah, but so is anyone being crucified who has a beard and hair. We all know Jesus was crucified and had a crown of thorns on his head. The image of the shroud shows a man with bleeding wounds around his forehead. Jesus was also flogged or whipped, and the back image of the man in the shroud is covered in laceration marks. There is also a larger stain on the man's left side, matching an area where Jesus was stabbed with a spear. Weren't, wasn't this, isn't this what happened during crucifixion? They'd whip you, they'd, they'd hang you up on the crucifix, and then they'd stab you in the side. I thought that's what crucifixion was. Lastly, the image on the Turin shroud shows injuries and what looks like free-flowing bloodstains to the man's wrists and feet, a match for where nails would have been driven in to attach him to the cross. I suppose this is circumstantial and doesn't necessarily prove it's Jesus, and it could be some other poor sod, but it doesn't rule him out. So what else have we got? Well, how about how the image actually got on the cloth in the first place? The impression of the man on the shroud is itself a bit of a mystery. We'll go into a bit more detail on this later, but the discolored areas of the cloth that make up the image are only on the very top part of the linen fibers, penetrating only about 0.2 microns down. They're not present underneath or between the weaves. The image, the image is not a painting, as there's no evidence of pigment or brush strokes. It's not a stain or a burn, and it's not made by marks you could get by just laying a clean cloth over a dead body, albeit one with blood on it. It's also seemingly a photographic negative, and the three-dimensional information can be extracted from it by modern-day imaging equipment. In fact, a three-dimensional sculpture of the whole body was unveiled in 2018 using information extracted from the photos of the shroud. Dr. Giglio Fanti of the University of Padua states, quote, We believe that we finally have the precise image of what Jesus looked like on this earth. From now on, he may no longer be depicted without taking this work into account. All right, Doc, chill out. Like, I'm, you've just got those super religious vibes because you're like, this is what Jesus looked like. Like, on earth, no one knows what he looks like when he's ascended to heaven, which he absolutely did do because he's Jesus and heaven is real. No offense, but you're probably not the best person to be studying this because you've obviously got a bias, in my opinion. The sculpture shows a pretty fit man who would have been just under six feet or 1.8 meters tall. That's my exact height, me and Jesus. Mm. Going back to how the image might have got onto the cloth, according to the awesomely named Father Dwight Longnecker, writing for the National Catholic Register, quote, <laughs> Dwight Longnecker, it is an image seared on the cloth with some technology that has yet to be explained. Not only can they not reproduce the image using medieval technologies, they can't reproduce it with modern technology. Filmmaker David Rolfe has also thrown down a gauntlet at the feet of the British Museum, no less. Rolfe made a short, BAFTA award-winning documentary about the Turin Shroud in 1978 called The Silent Witness, and apparently converted to Christianity during the research and the making of it. It's currently 8.2 on IMDb, which means it's probably too good for me to watch, but anyway, he's promised to donate a million dollars to the museum if they can recreate the image on the shroud to prove it's a forgery. Okay, well, we'll get back to you on that one, Messrs. Longnecker and Rolf. For this part of the episode, at least, let's present the pro-Jesus argument for how the image got on the cloth. You know, how the image is a negative, i.e. seen in more detail on the negative of a photograph taken of it. Well, how does that happen? Was the cloth exposed to a bright flash of light that seared the temporary occupant's details onto it? Why wasn't the rest of the cloth damaged by this intense light that must also have produced a fair amount of heat? How come it's the top layer of the cloth, not the parts that would have been holding the body that holds the image of the man? According to Jeanette Williams, writing on the Ascension Press website, Ascension Press again, I mean, it doesn't sound very scientific, does it? To quote, This phenomenon could only be caused by a rearrangement of electron bonding in the outer layers of the fibers caused by a very brief but high-energy burst of radiation without the corresponding heat that would have disintegrated the fabric. 
Okay. Do you go on, Ms. Williams? And oh boy, does she. The image itself is barely visible, but when first photographed in 1898, the negative showed a very detailed image of a crucified man with wounds corresponding to those of Christ. Thus, the image is, in fact, a negative image of the man wrapped in it. An instantaneous burst of light radiation emanated from the man and created a negative on the cloth. Oh, it did, did it. <laughs> that sounds like a real thing that happens. People just, boom, radiation, like a... Uh, isn't there a superheroes radioactive or some shit like that? You know what we're talking about here. Resurrection, baby. Obviously, this is difficult to prove, as there were only a handful of resurrections mentioned in the Bible, with Jesus being the most well-known. Didn't even know there were more resurrections in the Bible. How exciting! Weirdly, it didn't really continue to be a thing after that, so it's not like we can compare it to examples of more recent resurrections, but I guess, if you're a faithful believer, all of this makes total sense. A couple of other points while we're here. There are other shroud-adjacent relics, such as the Sudarim of Avido, or the Shroud of Avido. This is purportedly the separate headcloth wrapped around Jesus's head when he was buried and bloodstains on it match up with wounds shown on the Turin shroud. Blood tested on both pieces are apparently from the rare AB group. Well, there you go. It's a coincidence. <laughs> or it could be the same person, but it's not, it's, it's not Jesus, is it? It's just, there's no evidence for that. It's just something with a dude with AB blood. It's the same, maybe it's the same dude. Maybe it's from the same place. Maybe it's not. And AB, yeah, it's rare. It's not like impossibly rare. The history of the Turin Shroud before 1353 is murky, but some historians believe that the image of Edessa, also known as the Mandelion, which was a relic showing the face of Jesus somehow imprinted on a cloth, was actually the Shroud of Turin folded up and framed to just so show the face part. It was thought to be in Constantinople during the sacking of the city in 1204, but if it was what is now known as the Shroud of Turin, it was taken out of the city and ended up in the hands of the French knight Geoffrey de Charnay. This would put it right back into the historical record much closer to Jesus's lifetime than previously thought. Okay, before we launch into the whole not a holy relic argument, let's take a brief sidestep into another theory about the Shroud of Turin. If it ain't Jesus that was wrapped up in that baby, then who else could it be? I once read a book called The Hiram Key by Christopher Knight and Robert Lomas, which was pretty fun if I recall, all about Freemasonry and stuff like that. I gave it 4 out of 5 stars on goodreads.com anyway, which might have been overly generous, but it was a long time ago and I guess my standards were low. <laughs> Doesn't sound like you loved it though, Katie, does it? There was a follow-up called The Second Messiah, which I also gave four stars to. Wow, I was handing out those stars like crazy. Anyway, this was an alternative theory about who might actually have been the occupants of the Turin Shroud and Knight and Lomas's candidate was the last Grand Master of the Knights Templar, Jacques de Molay. God, a code in the unknown. Wouldn't be an episode without the Knights Templar, would it? I remember being quite impressed by this theory at the time, although looking back on it, I don't think there was much in the way of actual supporting evidence. I think they just chose this idea and ran with it. I'm just always convinced by anything anyone tells me until other conflicting information comes along. Still an entertaining read, though. Knight and Lomas probably aren't the only people to believe in this theory. They're just the only people whose accounts that I actually read, so I'm going to use their take on it for this section. Taking the official radiocarbon dating of the Shroud as accurate, it means that the Shroud was in existence when Jacques de Molay was killed in 1312, incidentally with Geoffrey de Charnay, who we mentioned earlier, and the remaining Knights Templar. He was arrested in Paris, which is near where the Shroud is first mentioned in the historical record. He was tortured to extract confessions for several years before his death, which included, according to Knight and Lomas, a recreation of Christ's crucifixion, resulting in the wounds on the image of the Shroud. Holy shit. They were like, we hate this guy so much, we're going to replicate Christ's crucifixion for him. That's some dark shit. After years of torture. <laughs> The linen cloth was placed, placed over Molay while he was in a coma, resulting in the famous image before he was later burned to death at the stake. 
The shroud was washed and put back in the drawer or wherever it was for 50 years or so until Duchane's granddaughter gave it to the Savoys. Jacques de Molay and other Knights Templar supposedly commonly had longer hair and beards, meaning that it's not totally outside the bounds of possibility that the face could be that of Jacques de Molay. It's a fun theory, but as we go on to explore the shroud in more detail, it's actually not likely that either Jesus or Jacques de Molay was ever wrapped up in this thing. Far from the madding shroud. It's not Jesus' shroud arguments. I like the subtitles in this one. They're all very clever, Katie. Well done. Let's start with the big reveal here, although I actually did just mention it in the Jacques de Belay section. <laughs> yeah, it's like you just told us it's probably not either of these people. The main point against the Turin Shroud being the burial cloth of Jesus is that according to radiocarbon dating done on pieces of the edge of the shroud in 1988, the material is judged to be dated from between 1260 to 1390 AD. As you might have noticed, that is over a thousand years after Jesus' time, so that makes it unlikely that this piece of linen was his burial cloth. Yeah, that's what I said right at the beginning. It's like we radiocarbon dated it because that technology came along and we're like, hey, guess what it isn't? Hang on though. This test was done in 1988. That was ages ago. Can't something more recent have been done to refute or prove the results? I mean, it's radiocarbon dating. What more do you want? It is science. What about some sort of contamination? What about all those patches and repairs made to the cloth? As only a tiny sample was allowed to be taken, could the researchers have unwittingly been testing some later repair material instead of the actual linen? Well, no, apparently not. This has been the main talking point of contention between skeptics and believers, but three separate labs in three different countries were given samples, and they all came back with the same date range with a confidence level of 95%. Even if there had been invisible repairs done to the shroud, the mix of first-century linen fibers plus much later repairs would have greatly skewed the date downwards, but this didn't happen. The repairs are pretty obvious, though, so it seems unlikely that the earlier ones would have been good enough to be invisible to the naked eye. Other claims of contamination, etc., have all been roundly refuted over the years, so I guess this is as good a result as we're going to be able to get. Yes, radiocarbon dating, it's not that old. Boom, case closed. But we're only halfway through, so let's see where we're going. While no more recent radiocarbon dating has been done, further research into the original data collected from the shroud has been carried out. In 2020, a new date range for the cloth was established, but it only said that to match the confidence level of 95% given by the original researchers, the date range would need to be increased by 88 years, still not much closer to the 1st century AD. Doesn't it seem like a bit of a coincidence, though, that the shroud first burst onto the scene in 1353, and now the carbon dating gives it a date range in exactly that time frame? Almost like it was a piece of medieval cloth from the 1300s, and in no way the actual burial cloth of Jesus. Hmm. Does seem like that, doesn't it, Katie? What a shocking surprise! And was Jesus even real in the first place? I guess that's an episode for another day, and one that hopefully someone else will do. Carrying on, though, what else has this cloth got to tell us? How did the image get on there if there's no evidence of pigment, brushstrokes, etc.? Well, here's another reason why this argument has never been totally resolved to either side's satisfaction. It seems that nobody can agree on anything. If one person finds one thing, someone else is going to find something to contradict it. In 1777, the Shroud of Turin Research Project, or STERP, was formed composed of scientists and other experts, and even they couldn't come to a consensus on much. For one thing, the image of the front and back of a man is apparently not painted or stained on the surface of the linen as no pigment traces have been found. One STERP researcher called Walter McCrone did find traces of pigment, however, and he wasn't just any old researcher, he was the father of modern microscopy, and he was a leading expert in chemical microanalysis, which he used to authenticate works of art and historical documents and such like, so basically this kind of thing was right up his ally. Ali. Yeah, it seems like this is exactly the guy you want to go to, to be like, yo, is this real, when's this from, and what is it? 
And he'll be like, well, I've got some good news for your chap. I'm an excellent scientist, and he's going to tell us. He has better equipment and more background knowledge in this type of thing than probably all of the other researchers, so I think my money would be on him. There was no mystery about the image for Macron. He stated that the image had likely been applied to the linen using an egg tempura paint, which was common until the 1500s when oil paint started to be used more. While egg tempura can be long-lasting on hard surfaces, it can flake off on textiles, which is probably why there aren't any paint traces left visible on the shroud. Oh, spoil sport, Macron. Macron also concluded that the bloodstain weren't actually blood, but rather more paint containing brighter red vermilion pigment. That shuts down the whole thing for me, but his colleagues who were working on samples of the cloth couldn't find any evidence of pigment at all, and rejected all his conclusions by saying that while he might have found traces of iron oxide on the linen, it wasn't necessarily what had made the images. Crone got pissed off and resigned from Sterp in 1980. I would have gone with you, Walter. I would have gone with you. Yeah, okay, so it seems like Sterp was set up with the goal, with one particular goal in mind, and Walter's like, no, that's not what we found. And they're like, you're fired, Walter. <laughs> that's not how science works here. How science works here. We start off with an idea, and then we prove that idea, even if the evidence shows otherwise. Some shroud researchers did find other evidence that the shroud was not a kosher first-century burial wrapper, though. By comparing a confirmed first-century burial shroud of a high-ranking person and other contemporary burial cloths with the Turin shroud, they found the weaves of the fabric fibers were not the same. The confirmed shrouds used a plain weave, whereas the Turin shroud uses a herringbone weave, and no other examples of this type of weave have ever been found from the time period and location of where Jesus was allegedly buried and resurrected. So look, we're just like the radiocarbon dating thing just locked it down for me and now it's just like yeah and this and this and this it's just cherries on top of why this is nonsense isn't it there are other things that can be refuted too. The whole 3D aspect is easy to explain. Shroud believers say things like, there is 3D data encoded in the Shroud of Turin image, which isn't possible if it's just a painting. It makes it sound like the image somehow contained data that would only be possible to unlock in the future using our imaging and computing technology, and that's not really accurate. What is happening is that it's possible to render a 3D image from the photographs taken of the Shroud. This can happen with many photographs and is not unique of the Shroud of Turin. The object just needs to be photographed under a certain set of conditions involving lighting and distance from the camera. But what about Decaro, Fanti, and the X-ray technique that we mentioned earlier? Well, I think the technique they use doesn't actually date fibers. It can merely compare them at a very detailed level with other fibers. So if they say it looks exactly like a fiber from the first century AD, then it must also be from that same period. It's also not conclusive that the fibers they used were from the shroud itself, with officials stating, quote, the shroud's custodians cannot recognize any serious value to the results of these alleged experiments. Who knows where these yahoos got their threads from, but the shrouds, if the shroud's custodians are refuting data that proves that the linen came from the time of Christ, it must be a bit on the dodgy side. So it sounds like these guys, allegedly, just, I mean, they didn't do a very good job, did they? And that if, if, and that would be putting it very kindly, someone might say, they're just making shit up. Not me. Someone might say that. While we're talking about Professor Fanti, I'll just mention the life-size 3D model of the shroud's occupant that he and his team created. It looks really good. However, when passed into a 3D shape, the proportions are such that it isn't just a man lying down flat. It comes out as quite a tall man, with his knees bent up and his head raised like he's in the process of doing a sit-up. This does not look like a comfy or natural position for a dead body to be in. Well, the good news is, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I hope that dead body's comfy. <laughs> The raised head, I can understand if there was something to put under his head in the tomb, but the legs bent up? It doesn't make sense in the context of the image that we see on the cloth. 
There's no distortion in the leg image to indicate they're actually not lying straight out. He couldn't have been lying on his side as the blood would have all been running toward that side. If the statue were a real-life person, it would have been just shy of 6 feet or 1.8 meters tall. While people would love him to have been a towering figure among his disciples, Jesus' height is not specifically given in the Bible, and most scholars agree that he was probably average height for his time and location, around 5 foot 5 inches tall or 1.65 meters. Hmm, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmith. <laughs> That was a terrible pun. What about the blood being a match to Jesus' wound and to the other relic head-wrapping shroud? Well, again, there is no conclusive proof that the darker markings on the cloth are actually blood at all. I've no idea how the blood group AB was extrapolated from the Turin shroud because, to be honest, all the research is too long and complicated to read. But in a nutshell, some researchers found no evidence of blood. Wow, so they're just... It's a lot of made-up stuff, isn't it? Some researchers found evidence of parts of blood components, but it could be only be narrowed down to primate, not even conclusively human. On an easier-to-understand note, the, so the way the so-called hood is shown on the image is not realistic, especially on the arms. Just by looking at it yourself, the so-called bloodstains seem quite artistically arranged on the figure's arms. This is this how blood would have run down an arm after a nail had been driven through a hand or wrist? Apparently not. The blood is on the top of the arm for one thing. If you've been crucified and or had something hammered through your hand, I'm assuming the Romans did it through the palm or the underside of the hand to attach it to the cross. Therefore, wouldn't most blood drip down the underside of your arm? In a paper published in 2018 called A BPA Approach to the Shroud of Turin, Matteo Barini and Luigi Garlaschelli concluded that the bloodstains on the shroud could not match actual wounds purportedly sustained by Jesus or, in fact, anybody. I am assuming BPA stands for blood pattern analysis here. In an article on Live Science, it states, quote, For instance, two short rivulets of the blood on the back of the left hand of the shroud are only consistent with a person standing with their arms held at a 45-degree angle. In contrast, the forearm bloodstains on the shroud match a person standing with their arms held nearly vertical. A person couldn't be in these two positions at once. Sure, some of the stains were consistent with actual wounds, but the conclusion Barini reached was, you realize these cannot be blood stains for a person who was crucified and then put into a grave, but actually handmade by the artist that created the shroud. Someone made the shroud. They did it with that weird egg stuff. It's obvious. And it was way later. Way later. Because we carbon dated it. Handmade by an artist, you say? Well, that brings us neatly to the next section of this story. Extremely shroud and incredibly close, the Turin Shroud has always been a hoax. I remember how the Turin Shroud had been dated to between 1260 and 1390, and how it appeared in a French village around 1353. Well, it was denounced as a hoax pretty soon after it hit the scene as a supposed holy relic. People were happy to believe that this was a miraculous image of Jesus imprinted somehow on the cloth, as there had been stories of such an item or similar items floating around for centuries before. So here it was, the actual article. It seems like someone was like, someone was like oh, I've heard of this. Let's make it and then sell it, or at least charge people to see it. You know, because money is the motivator. Not everyone got so carried away, though. The Bishop of Troy, Henri de Poitiers, had almost immediately banned people from venerating it, as an item matching the shroud's description doesn't appear anywhere in the Bible, so he was pretty sure the whole thing was a fake from the start. He also apparently knew exactly who had created the shroud. The artist has never been named, but was referred to in a letter that the bishop's successor, Pierre de Arsis, wrote to anti-pope Clement VII. I've never heard of an anti-pope, but I'm not really sure if it's the same thing as an antichrist, for example. I just think it means that he was elected pope outside of the normal way of doing it as a kind of coup. Anti-pope does sound pretty cool, though. Yeah, I thought an anti-pope was, like, exactly that. Someone who's, like, become pope by, like, non-popey means. 
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Anyway, in the letter, D'Arcis writes all about his worries about how people are perceiving the Shroud and all things Henri de Poitiers told him. A translation of the letter says, Eventually, after diligent inquiry and examination, he, Henri de Poitiers, discovered how the said cloth had been cunningly painted, the truth being attested by the artist who had painted it, to wit that it was a work of human skill and not miraculously wrought or bestowed. And just so we know we're all talking about the same item here, he goes on to describe the cloth upon which by a clever sleight of hand was depicted the twofold image of one man, that is to say, the back and the front, he falsely declaring and pretending that it was the actual shroud in which our Saviour Jesus Christ was enfolded in the tomb, and upon which the whole likeness of the Saviour had remained thus impressed together with the wounds which he bore. So. Basically, someone painted the image on and tried to pass it off as a holy relic on purpose. Yeah, and they were like, I'm going to get away with this because there's no carbon dating, there's no proper science. And now in the future, we're all like, cool, running through the fancy machine and figure out what it is. It's like, oh, it's quite new and it was painted on with eggs. Boom, done, mystery solved. And this was comprehensively denounced as fake way back in the 1300s. Despite the misgivings, the Church of Lyrie kept wanting to display the shroud, and so they did. And here is where the Catholic Church took the stance that it maintains to this day, which should basically tell you all you need to know about the Shroud of Turin. As early as the 14th century, this has officially not been treated as a legitimate relic, rather just as a representation or an icon of the suffering of Jesus that people venerate if they want to. This is with the exception of Pope John Paul II, by the way, who enthusiastically confirmed his belief that this was the actual burial cloud of Jesus, the cloth of Jesus, several times on record. Pope Francis has referred to the shroud as an icon of love, and according to an article on Reuters, he said the shroud should spur people to reflect not only on Jesus, but also on the face of every suffering and unjustly persecuted person. But has everything been explained? I think so, but there's a few more pages, so maybe I'm missing something. Has anyone actually managed to recreate a Turin shroud to the satisfaction of anyone on the other side? I read many articles on religious websites claiming things that nobody has ever recreated the image even using modern technology, or that there is no way that the image was just painted on top, but let's take a look at the evidence that we can see with our own eyes before going into a bit more detail. The figure, while a recognizable human form, is not proportionally accurate. As we saw when a 3D model was created, for it to make sense in human form, it would have bent up legs and the head needs to be raised off the ground. The face itself is not quite in normal proportions, with the forehead being too small and the distance from the eyebrows to the crown of the head being out of whack. That sounds like rather than something being copied off a real face, it sounds like an artist who wasn't even doing a particularly good job. One conclusion is that this is a stylized representation in a man of the gothic style of art popular in medieval Europe, or that. The discoloration of the fibers forming the image is on the top of the fibers, you know, like it was painted on the surface of the linen. If a body had been wrapped in the cloth and formed an imprint, wouldn't this discoloration also have been seen on the underside of the linen where it actually touched the body? Yeah. Yeah, it would. 
As for no pigment being found, my hero Walter McCrone did find pigments thanks to his superior instruments. His theory is that an emulsion-type paint was used, and over time the pigment just flaked off. Other theories have been put forth and put into practice for how the image was made. These include rubbing an acidic pigment over some linen that was placed over the face of a over the mask of a face, and then heating and aging the cloths, which were carried out by Luigi Garlicelli. He also studied the bloodstains mentioned earlier. The photographic negative results do look very similar to the Turin Shroud, but not similar enough to satisfy the believers, apparently. It looks the same. <laughs> In 1994, Emily Craig and Randall Bressy published a paper concluding that it was more than possible for 13th and 14th century artists to have created the image on the Turin Shroud. They used a modified carbon dust drawing technique to create an image with iron oxide and collagen dust on linen fabric. The photographic negative of the image also gives much more detail than the positive image, just like the Turin Shroud. Their image was also achieved using materials and techniques from the relevant medieval time period, so no modern technology. I think it's been pretty proven that it's possible to recreate the image of on the shroud, although as far as I know, the filmmaker David Rolfe is still keeping a hold of his million dollars. The British Museum, for their part, has maintained a polite silence over the challenge, so I think Rolfe won't need to dip into his retirement fund anytime soon. If I was someone at the British Museum, I'd be like, cool, let's do it this weekend. So let's just come in off hours and get that million pounds off that Rolf guy. <laughs> let's just mess around in the lab and just do what this the Emily and Randall did. Let's clean up the last remaining sticking points, though. While a burial shroud was mentioned in the Bible, it's most commonly referred to as strips of linen rather than just one sheet. There was also a separate cloth solely to wrap Jesus' head in. This might be the Shroud of Oviedo, as previously mentioned, but why does that then just have bloodstains and no image of a face? How did the image of Jesus appear uniformly on the shroud if there was an extra covering if there was an extra covering over his head. According to Jewish burial traditions, Jesus' body would most likely have been wrapped in several linen cloths up to his shoulders with a separate cloth for his head. There was no one large piece of linen that would have been folded over the whole body. The DNA and pollen found on the cloth are also not deal-breakers. While I quoted a line from the research into the DNA earlier to say that it was, quote, compatible with the historic path followed by the Turin Shroud during its presumed journey from the Near East, there was a bit that I left out until now. The sentence actually starts with the words, such diversity does not exclude a medieval origin in Europe. And then it goes on to say, but it would also be compatible with the historic path, blah, blah, blah. So it's like, yeah, it could be this, could be that, but also could be this and this and many other things, and it's not anywhere close to proof. There's no telling where or how long ago the cloth came into contact with these people or pollen, so it's another piece of information that is not conclusive either way. If you believe, that the Shroud of Turin is the actual burial cloth of Jesus. You must therefore believe that the image was imprinted onto it during the process of resurrection. If a huge amount of concentrated energy was released, why is this not shown in any of the fibers of the linen? Some people have put a huge amount of time into researching this, and I found an article called On the Physics of the Shroud of Turin, which states that John P. Jackson, one of the founders of STIRP, the Shroud of Turin Research Project, states he proposed that the image features of the Shroud of Turin were produced by radiation emanating from the body in the shroud at the moment of resurrection. Yeah, all right, John. The unnamed author of this, wait, wasn't it John? John P. Jackson. Oh, it says one of the founders, so it's not John's direct quote. The unnamed author of the piece basically goes on to say that while this explanation has been rejected by other scientists due to running counter to our understanding of science and the laws of physics, it actually just means that we need to redefine our understanding of those laws as, quote, the image on the shroud requires extension and revision of the accepted physical laws, mate. When your theory is going against the accepted physical laws, your theory has been disproven. I'm sorry, you're not a scientist.
Ah, I see. So instead of just accepting that maybe the image was painted on the cloth several centuries ago, we should instead change our fundamental understanding of the laws of physics just to prove this one single artifact is authentic. That seems legitimate. God, what nonsense. But there's the real crux of this whole issue. One side will never convince the other. No matter how much scientific data is pulled out, believers in the authenticity of the Shroud, which isn't even the church itself, by the way will always find reasons not to believe it and vice versa. Personally, I think they should probably do another radiocarbon dating test from a piece of the cloth that's definitely not been mended, but then it would be near at the middle of what is, after all, still a centuries-old piece of artwork. Even if it is a fake, it might still have originally been created as something people could worship, so there's no real harm in continuing to do so, although I think the Catholic Church has got it right here in that it's described as an icon rather than a relic. So there you go. I'm sure further tests and theories will come out in the future as the eternal battle of science versus faith continues, but maybe we should stop and ask the most important question here. What would Jesus do? <laughs> I like to think Jesus would be like, bro, come on now. Come on now. Look, times have changed. That's not how it works anymore. We know it's not real. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Uh, if you enjoyed this show, please do leave it a review. If you're watching on YouTube, hello there. Like, subscribe, and I'll see you next time. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.